What an amazing song from our mass choir. Awesome. Cassandra. Mm. <laughs> Y'all, this is a big day. The person that is about to come and bless you with the word of God has been a part of this denomination since 1971. <laughs> That's just a few years after the, after the Holy Spirit breathed into our founder, Reverend Troy Perry. Um, but they met each other on the hill, on the steps of the Capitol in California, both activists, both truly believing that God calls each one of us beloved and that we're children of God. And so they fight for the rights for all people. And they were on the steps of California and they met and they were shaking things up for our peoples. And uh, that's when they met and he reeled her in, their spirits connected. And she's been serving this denomination since then. The first woman ordained, 1973, and she was also elected as elder, which she served for 20 years, in addition to being the senior pastor at MCC Sacramento for 34 years. So we've been uh, truly blessed by her ministry. She, her fingerprint and her Holy Spirit print is all over our denomination, and it is with great pleasure that I get to introduce her today. I want to say to you that she was recognized as, uh, by the Sacramento History Museum as the Woman of Courage and was named Woman of the Year by the California State Legislature in 1996. And after you hear her today, you will know why Berkeley in California established a Reverend Elder Frieda Smith Feminist Preaching Prize. Without further ado, let's give a resurrection welcome for my friend in ministry, Pastor Frieda. If you love God this morning, can you say amen? It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. I want you to stay standing. Stay standing just for a moment. I just love the way that scripture was read, don't you? I loved it so much, I'm going to read a little part of it over again. And because uh, I'm going to refer to these parts as I go along. The scripture was from John 10, and I'll just unzip my little Bible here. Should have had it unzipped already, you say. <laughs> John 10, starting with the seventh verse. I'm going to turn around every once in a while and, and look at this wonderful choir, make sure nobody's asleep up there. <laughs> Start with the seventh verse. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if anyone enter in, that one shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. And then dropping down to the 16th verse. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Will you pray with me? Loving God, it is such a wonderful, wonderful experience for me to be here in Houston, to be in a church that affirms me. God, you know my journey. You know there was a time when I was in Houston and I was seeking truth. God, I just thank you for bringing me back here today. And to see your people. And God, I ask that, that, that that one that you've brought here today to hear this message. 
that one that is always here to hear this message. God, that you would use me, that you would lay that soul upon my heart and win that soul through me. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now I want you to do something. Those of you who are close to someone else in front or in back, I want you to take a really good look at them. And those of you who are sitting by yourselves, you can look at me or you can look at some of these beautiful people up here. But I want you to take a really good look. I don't see your heads turning. <laughs> a really good look. Now I want you to say you're in the right place this morning. You're in the right place this morning. Did you see anyone who looked like you? Did you see anyone who looked like you? No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You know there's no one in this whole world, no one who ever lived, no one who ever will live, who is exactly like you. Even if you have an identical twin, they're not exactly like you. When God creates God's creation, God uses variation. God does not turn out God's people, God's souls on an assembly line. Each one is unique. Yes, I've been told, all of creation, I've been told that even snowflakes are different. In fact, one of the great essayists, Henry David Thoreau, wrote an essay called The Purple Grasses, and he said that even though grass is green, to most people, within the grass there are purple grasses. Even if the person that looked the most like you, even if in every way they were identical, they would not be like you because your souls would be different. Did you know that? Did you know that your soul is that essence that you have? It has your dreams, it has your experiences, it has your appetites. In fact, it has your essence. Your, your body changes every seven years, I've been told. But you know your soul is still here. Your soul is different. And so I'd like to share part of my soul with you this morning. I'd like to share that part of my soul when my Nazarene preacher great-grandmother would take me up on her lap and sing a song that they just don't sing anymore, anywhere, almost. And since I was not given Grandma Smith's great contralto voice, I just say the words. And the words go like this, based on Luke 15. There were 90 and 9 who safely lay in the shelter of the fold. Just one was lost in the fields astray far off from the gates of gold. Out in the desert, alone and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine. Are we not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this one of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rocky and steep, I go to the mountain to find my sheep. I go to the desert to find my sheep. And none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the shepherd went through ere he found that lamb that was lost. 
But out in the desert, he heard a cry. Lost, helpless, and ready to die. Lost and helpless, and ready to die. Lord, whence are the bloodstains all the way that mark the mountain track? They were shed for the one who has gone astray, ere the shepherd could bring it back. Lord, why are your hands so bleeding and torn? They're pierced tonight by many a thorn. Pierced tonight by many a thorn. Then up from the mountains thunder riven, across the stormy deep, there arose a glad cry to the gates of heaven. Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echo around the throne, Rejoice, for God brings back God's own. Rejoice, for God brings back God's own. You know, it was a long time ago when I was praying over that passage in Luke 15 where Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. And I remember praying as, as you know, pastors pray. Did you know that? They do. You know, pastors don't just intend to get up here and bore you silly. <laughs> pastors really want to say something that's going to mean something to you. They want it to be relevant. And I remember praying over that, that scripture and thinking, oh, God, just open up the scripture to me for my people. And as I was praying, all of a sudden I thought, how did that little sheep get lost? How on earth did that... Now, I don't, I'm not an expert on a lot of things, but I do know, being from Idaho, I know a lot about sheep. <laughs> In fact, we used to say, I'm from Idaho and I'm going back. <laughs> and you don't have to be around sheep too long before you discover that sheep are not independent thinkers. They follow one another. In fact, if, if one of your sheep go off the edge of a cliff, you're probably going to lose the whole flock, one after the other, just like California drivers in the fog. <laughs> well, I thought, how did this little sheep get lost? Maybe it was different. Maybe it was different somehow from the rest of the flock. And I thought, well, how on earth could a little sheep get be different. But then, you know, I thought about the soul. And I thought, maybe, maybe it was different in its appetite. Maybe when all of the other sheep had an appetite for green grass, maybe this little sheep was born with an appetite for purple grass. So I thought about that little sheep. And it didn't take long. I I started thinking about little sheep, that little sheep's mother because way, way back when I was going to school, if, if there was anyone who was a little bit different, a little bit peculiar, you've always looked at the mother. <laughs> the mother was too close. The mother was too protective. Of course, nowadays, the enlightened ones know better. They know that little beings are not born just blank slates, that the mother or the parents or anybody writes their lives on that slate. 
little creatures, and then you've got 18-month-old little creatures, I understand. Little creatures are born with a personality already. They're born with a soul already. They are already complete in their soul as their soul will experience as it goes along. Little creatures are influenced by their mothers, of course, but they also influence their mothers. That when the mother and the little one get together, they influence each other. They meet each other. And I can imagine this, this little sheep mother looking at that little sheep and thinking, oh, dear. You know how mothers are. Little sheep, don't be different, please. Please, don't be different. And the little sheep just thinking, well, how do you not be different? How do you not be different? I'll tell you one of the many truths I know. That if you're different, you're going to be different. You can't tell a lie. Now, someone in here says, well, Frida Smith, you went too far there. Because I am a good liar. I'm not going to point you out. You know who you are. <laughs> I can lie, and you'll never know it. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But you know the way that God created us? It's impossible for us to tell a lie. It's impossible without doing violence to our bodies. That's the secret behind the voice stress detector test. That's the secret behind the lie detector test. You know, you're doing violence to your body. You're, you're being untrue. You're being false. In fact, I've been spending time, as many of you have, in airports. You know, in the airports, not only do you have these guards with the big guns on their hips, but you have people who study body language to see who you are and what you're up to. You can't tell a lie. I imagine this little sheep thinking, how do you not be different? Looking at the other little sheep and thinking, how do you not be different? It wasn't long until all the other little sheep were pointing at that one and saying, watch out for that one. There's something peculiar about that one. Have you seen the way it holds its little shank? <laughs> Mother sheep got so worried, she took her sheep to the sheep shrink. <laughs> she said, doctor, I'm so worried about my little sheep. And the doctor says, it looks like a perfectly good little sheep to me. And she says, oh, but it's got an appetite for purple grass. Doctor says, don't worry about it. It's just a stage it's going through. It'll grow out of it. It'll learn to like what's really good for it. And the little sheep says, not what's really good for me. Uh-uh. I can imagine this sheep getting a little bit older and having an older and wiser friend. I imagine this older, wiser friend coming to the little sheep one day and saying, little sheep, you shouldn't eat purple grass. And the little sheep said, well, well, why not? I was born with an appetite for it. It's around. It doesn't hurt anybody. And the older, wiser sheep making answer, well, if you were older and wiser like I am, you'd be concerned about right and wrong. 
And if you were concerned about right and wrong, you would have studied ethics. And if you'd have studied ethics, you would have learned about Immanuel Kant's categorical imperative. See, I told you it was a pretty bright sheep. <laughs> and if you'd studied Immanuel Kant's categorical imperative to tell right from wrong, you, the categorical imperative, it's in two parts. Categorical means it, it refers to everybody. Categorically, it means that it, it's everybody. Imperative is must do. You must do that. The categorical, categorical imperative in two parts says the first part, you should always treat others as an end in themselves and never as a means to an end. And the second part says that you should always act so that the principle of your action could be made a universal principle. Little sheep, do you realize that if all of the sheep in all of the world ate purple grass, there's not enough to go around. We'd all starve to death. You could be the end of the sheep race. And those sheep say, well, I can't argue with Immanuel Kant, but I can argue with you. It seems to me that if everyone ate just what was good for them, there'd be plenty enough of everything to go around, and we'd live in a happier world, too. And with that, that little sheep went out and was doing pretty good, pretty good, until all of a sudden, there was the flock moralist. The flock moralist said, little sheep, you should not eat purple grass. Little sheep said, well, why not? I have an app, born with an appetite for it. It's around, if you know where to look for it. Doesn't hurt anybody. And the, good, the flock moralist said, but the good shepherd doesn't want you to eat purple grass. Little sheep said, are you sure? Are you sure the good shepherd doesn't want me to eat purple grass? Flock Moralist said, of course I'm sure. Who do you think I am? I stand behind the pulpit every Sunday morning. I'm on radio. I'm on TV. Of course I know the Good Shepherd does not want you to eat purple grass. And those sheep said, well, okay, then, then I, I won't. I won't. I won't even think about it. I won't even think about thinking about it. Have you ever tried not to think about thinking about something? <laughs> it wasn't long. It was all that little sheep could do was not think about what it wasn't going to think about. Couldn't think about anything else. Obsessed and hungry and surrounded by green grass eaters blatantly eating green grass all over the place. <laughs> but I'm not going to think about it. I'm not even going to think about thinking about it until one day that little sheep found itself in with some purple grass. I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> a little while later, in with the purple grass a little bit longer. I'm not going to do that anymore. And finally, one day, that little sheep said, who cares? Who cares? Who cares what the Good Shepherd thinks anyway? There probably isn't a Good Shepherd. Whoever saw the Good Shepherd, whoever touched the Good Shepherd, whoever even smelled the Good Shepherd, 
There probably isn't such a thing as a good shepherd. Maybe just something that flock made up to keep me in line. And who needs that flock? And I imagine that little sheep ran off into the hedges and the highways and the byways and everywhere and did not live happily ever after. Did not live happily ever after because something was wrong, just as I told you that that little sheep was born with an appetite for purple grass in its soul. That little sheep was born with a place for the good shepherd in its soul. There was a great hollow place in its soul. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Tillich, the theologian, said that faith is a bedrock of our existence. I imagine that little sheep going around questioning everything, everything, everything. What about truth? Whoever saw truth, whoever touched truth, maybe there really is no such thing as truth. Whoever saw justice, maybe might does make right. And what about love? If we'd never heard about it, if we were raised in a vacuum, is there really such a thing as love? Would we be able to love? Imagine that little sheep just getting more and more and more lost. And I know that because that's where I was when I started the college. I've been convinced that the good shepherd could not love me. And I was questioning everything. I had a friend who brought a Jules Pfeiffer cartoon to school to me one day. Jules Pfeiffer was a cartoonist. It had four parts. In the cartoon, a little girl goes to her mother and father, the first frame, and says, Mama and Daddy, is there a Santa Claus? And Mama and Daddy says, yes. She didn't believe them. Second frame, she writes to the newspaper, Dear newspaper, is there a Santa Claus? And the newspaper writes an editorial and says, Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. She didn't believe the newspaper. She wrote all the way to the North Pole, Dear Santa, do you really exist? Last frame, Santa writes back, Dear Virginia, does anything really exist? And sent her a book on metaphysics instead of the doll she really wanted for Christmas. <laughs> I imagine that little sheep getting more and more and more lost. And it started to get dark. The last days were falling. And there were 90 and 9 who safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was lost in the fields astray, far off from the gates of gold. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine. Are we not enough for thee? God, here we are, all of us, all ninety-nine of us. We've been here all the time. We've never, ever, ever left. Let me tell you about that one. Let me tell you about that one, shepherd. You don't want that one. That one never fit in, was always strange, was always peculiar. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine, are we not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this one of mine has wandered away from me. 
99% is never good enough for God. God does not deal in fractions. God does not deal in decimals. God wants 100%. When God wants you, God wants 100% of you just as you are. 99 is never enough for God. Lord, thou hast here thy 99, are we not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this one of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rocky and steep, I go to the mountain to find my sheep. I go to the desert to find my sheep. And none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the shepherd went through ere he found that lamb that was lost. Can there be too much deep water in a little sheep's life? Is it possible, conceivable, that any little sheep could ever be too lost for the good shepherd to find? Can any night be too dark? Can any experience place them in a place where the good shepherd cannot reach them? No. None of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the shepherd went through ere he found that lamb that was lost. But out in the desert, he heard a cry, lost and helpless and ready to die, out where he'd never expect to see the good shepherd. Maybe somewhere in the back of some club in Houston, Texas, Somewhere where no one could even imagine that the Good Shepherd would be there. I can imagine that little sheep looking up and seeing, coming into that lost place, the Good Shepherd saying, Behold, I stand at your door and I knock. And if anyone open the door, I will enter in. Imagine that little sheep just looking at the shepherd in that place of all places and saying, go away. Please just go away and leave me alone. You don't want me. Go away. And the good shepherd coming closer and saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. All who come to me I will in no wise cast out. And a little sheep saying, no, you don't want me. Just go away. And the good shepherd coming closer and said, who told you? Who told you that I didn't want you? And the little sheep saying, the flock moralist, the one who stood behind the pulpit on Sunday mornings, the one on radio, the one on TV, that one told me, you didn't want me. And the shepherd making answer, all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, and they scattered my sheep. But I have come that you should have life, and that you should have it more abundantly. Right. The sheep said, well, no, no. And the good shepherd says, come home, come home. And the little sheep said, well, you, 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 you just don't understand. I was born with an appetite for purple grass. <laughs> Good shepherd said, well, I knew that. Before you were formed in, within your mother, I knew that. I was there. 
I was there in my heavenly parents' house. There are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And now I've come to take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Come home. Come home. And I imagine that good shepherd just reaching out to that little lamb. And I've gone as far in this sermon as I can go by myself. Because now you're going to have to go within yourselves. I want you to just close your eyes. Nothing magic about closing your eyes. But it closes out right here, right now, right all time. And I want you to find that time in your life when the Good Shepherd was the most real to you. Go back through time, through space. There may be several memories just go through. Find that place where the Good Shepherd was the most real to you. It's there. It's still there. Feel that place. It's still there. Be there. Be there. Now, when you get to this place, hear me, the Good Shepherd has never left that place. The Good Shepherd has never left that place. Come home. Come home. Just let go and let God. Let God fill that hollow place. Fill it to overflowing. Fill it to abundance. Not just life, but abundant life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now up from the mountains, thunder riven across the stormy deep, there comes a great cry from the gates of heaven. Rejoice! Rejoice! I have found my sheep. And right now the angels are echoing around the throne. Rejoice, for God brings back God's own. Rejoice, for God brings back God's own. Rejoice because God is real. And what you're feeling is real. And what you're feeling is real for people who aren't even here yet. It's real for people who seem so far away that you don't even know how they could possibly be found. It's real.
And God's raised up this wonderful church to give you the opportunity to go into the highways and the byways and the hedges and compel them to come. Almighty God, we just praise you and thank you this morning because I saw God and I witness and I testify that someone here today said, yes, God, use me. Yes, God, use me. And now we ask your blessing upon the rest of this service in the name of Jesus. Amen.